Well, good morning on this stormy, rainy morning. So glad you're here today as we are uh, jumping into week number two of our brand new series called Creed. And if you were here last week, you'll know from now uh, until into the holidays, we are gonna be looking at an ancient uh, Christian confession of faith known as the Apostles' Creed. And if you have your Bibles or you got a device, if you go ahead and get that open to Matthew chapter six, verses nine through 13, that's where we're gonna be studying that. You may recognize already as the Lord's Prayer. And uh, in this series, what we are doing together is joining with Christ followers all around the world doing something that Christ followers have been doing for 1600 years. We are confessing our common faith. We are stating what we believe. And if you do the math, just to give you some perspective, uh, that's over 584,000 days that the church, the family of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, has been using the Apostles' Creed as a guide for what it means to be a Christ follower. And so you can really say when you think of that, following Jesus begins with, and it never moves beyond belief. Belief is so important. And I think I would specify this by saying for us to call ourselves Christians in the biblical and in the historical sense of the word is to affirm everything in the Apostles' Creed. That's what Christians have been doing uh, for a very, very long time. Now, to be clear, as I said last week, um, I am not here, we are not here to preach the creed. I am preaching the Bible. I'm gonna be using the creed to push us back to the Bible's core truths. And you may remember last week we used this illustration about how the Bible and the Apostles' Creed interface. The creed, if you think of it like this, is sort of like the moon to the Bible's sun. The Bible is the source, it's the source of light, it's the source of heat, it's the revelation of God. The Bible, the scriptures are God's word. This is where we meet God and where he speaks to us. And the creed, it's not revelation. But the creed does reflect to us the light and the heat of the Bible and the creed does make it easier for us to look at and understand what stands at the heart of the Bible which can sometimes be complex and confusing to people. And I gave you this definition last week, I want you to see it again. The Apostles' Creed is a short, memorable summary of the historic Christian faith, and that's why we are studying it together. We want to have a firm grasp on what we believe, amen? I mean, we wanna know, we wanna know. And so, with that in mind, I wanna invite you to do what we're gonna do every week, and that's to stand, and we're going to say the Apostles' Creed together, and as we say it, I want you to remember that we are joining churches around the world today, and we're doing what churches have been doing, what Christ followers have been doing for over 1,600 years. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, to get us going, I want to just ask you a real simple question. Have you ever said, or maybe you just heard someone say, you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? We've all heard that. It's this idea that, you know, you just can't have everything. Uh, Today, as we dig into the first affirmation of the Apostles' Creed, which is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, we are going to see that, biblically speaking, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have everything. What do I mean? Well, as we're working through the creed um, each week, I think you're gonna see what we'll see today and that there's this theme of both and. It's going to emerge. And a lot of times when we come to God, we're, we're kind of thinking in terms of either or. The creed is gonna help us think in terms of both and. I'll give you a few examples. Today, we're gonna study how God is both father and loving and personal while also almighty the creator of heaven and earth, sovereign. It's both. We're gonna see later as we continue our study that Jesus is both the suffering savior and king of the universe. Jesus is both human and divine. He both died and he lives forevermore. See, the Bible is just constantly doing this both and thing, showing us that God is not gonna fit into our categories those, those boxes that we make you know, with our finite minds. God is not an either or God. He's a both and God in so many ways. He totally shatters our boxes. Now let's, let's say that first affirmation of the creed again, just to fix it in our mind. Say it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. See, today we're gonna talk about the both and of God how he's both a father, personal, caring, intimately involved in our individual lives while simultaneously being almighty, the transcendent, sovereign, infinite creator of everything that exists. What I'm saying you're gonna see today is that this is who God is. And, and I'm gonna hope that you will see as we go through, through this that this is the kind of God this is the kind of God that your heart longs for. I think we, we see this truth so clearly depicted for us in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. As I mentioned a moment ago, we find here Jesus' familiar teaching on prayer, which we typically know as the Lord's Prayer. And we're gonna walk through these verses today, focusing on two big realities that we see in them about God. And then we're gonna see how this changes the way we think and then the way we live using those, those four categories that we employed last week, the categories of clarity and balance and counsel and reorientation. So let's listen to what Jesus teaches his disciples about prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now one of the reasons this is so important, so central to understanding God is that that prayer really is the way we live into relationship with God. And as Jesus teaches us how to pray, he is showing us how God relates to us and then how we should relate to God. 
He, he highlights two things about God in this prayer that I want you to, to focus in on. Here's the first one, and I'm gonna use a, a really big theological word, but I know you can handle it, all right? Uh, we're gonna focus first of all, because Jesus does, on God's eminence, God's eminence. It's the first thing he teaches us about in the Lord's Prayer. He begins in verse nine by saying, this then is how you should pray. And in other words, Jesus is saying, this is the way that you should relate to God. Now, with that in mind, look at the first two words of the prayer. Our Father. Our Father, the very first thing. The very first thing Jesus wants us to know about God, the very first thing Jesus wants to come into our minds when we think about God is not how big he is, but how about how close he is. Jesus doesn't first point us to God's omnipotence or omniscience or his omnipresence. He, he points us to God very close. He wants us to think first that God is somehow like a really good dad to you. Now, if you've read the Bible very much, you already know that the fatherhood of God is a very prominent idea all through the scriptures. And one of the things as a pastor that I, I know whenever I talk about this teaching, this truth, is there is a reality that's here in this room that, that many of us have not had good fathers. Some of us have had really bad fathers. Fathers who neglected us or deeply wounded us or even abused us. And I understand as we begin to explore this, that this idea may be difficult for some of us. So I first of all want to say to you, if that's you, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Your, your dad should not have done what he did. He should not have been what he was. And, and if that's you, and if this is somehow a, a kind of a barrier for you into life with God, I would just ask that you would let us know so that we can help you work through that. But I also wanna say this, when Jesus tells us that God is Father, he is not, he's not telling us to look at our dads and from that decide who God is. He is telling us, if you could just turn it around, that God is the perfect father who is and who does everything a perfect father should do and we are his children and he loves us like a, a perfect father. And so if you struggle with this, I wanna make a suggestion. Instead of seeing God through your human experience with your earthly father, why don't you let God, the perfect father, define what fatherhood really is for you? Look to God first, think of God first. Because this, this reality that, that God is our father, that we are his children, it really does stand at the very beating heart of the good news of Christianity. I mean, it's all over the New Testament. Again and again, the writers of the New Testament use the illustration of adoption into God's family as a, a picture of what it means to become a Christ follower and live life with God. And it's this idea that we are all born spiritually orphaned. We're, we're all born outside of the care of God the Father. And, and being an orphan is a dangerous and it's a scary place to be, not having God the Heavenly Father watching over us. But of course, the Bible tells us good news, that God the Father sent God the Son to come and bring spiritual orphans back home. And through trusting Jesus, we are now adopted into God's family and God becomes our eternal father. I love, I love 1 John 3, 1, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, how great, 
is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. It's what we are. God's our dad. We're his kids. And the reality, this reality, it's what Jesus wants us to know first. When you become a Christ follower, God becomes a good father to you. So let's make this really practical. What does this mean for how you relate to God, how God relates to you? Well, it means a number of things. It it means that God is present with you always, not absent. It means that God wants to be close to you, not far away. It means he cares about what's going on in your life. It means you can let him in and you can be honest with him and you you can not pretend. It means he loves you. He loves you. He loves the real you, not the, the cleaned up, you know, come to church on Sunday religious version of you. He really loves you. And he is so patient and kind and tender and gentle with you. It means he cares about what's going on in your life. It means he protects you when you're in danger. It means he's patient with you when you blow it. He's not going to abandon you. Jesus is saying that God God is your father, and that's how you should relate to him. I wanna introduce you, for some of you, this will be the first time you ever heard this. Uh, it's also one of my, my favorite verses in all the Bible. It's in a little corner of the Old Testament that many of you don't frequent. And I'm just telling you right now, some of you are gonna be very embarrassed when you get to heaven and you run into the prophet Zephaniah, and he's gonna ask you, how did you like my book? Because you're gonna say, uh, I who are you? <laughs> but there's a book called Zephaniah and you really should check it out sometime, especially Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. I love this. It says, the Lord, your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. Have you ever thought that about God? That he takes great delight in you? He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And just try to get your mind wrapped around that, that your father, the Lord God, Yahweh, takes great delight in you. Some of you don't think that. You do not believe that. It couldn't be true, but it is. The word of God tells us it is. He is your father. And and I wanna kind of give you a phrase to think about this. God's, God's fatherhood means that he is intensely personal with you. This ought to give you great comfort, immense peace. But there's a reality that comes alongside this. If God is only our good and personal father, and he isn't also really big and powerful, then his fatherhood may not be that comforting because he really can't provide for all our needs. And that's why Jesus also highlights the second thing, which I want you to see in this this prayer, and that's God's transcendence. This means means that God is really, really big. He, He stands above and over us, he transcends us, right? I have a funny question I wanted to ask you. How many of you, 
and, and this is actually a hand raised question, okay? Because I want to see. How many of you, uh, when you were kids, you used to have arguments with your friends over whose dad could beat up all the other dads? Right? This is a very common thing. Now, I, I noticed most of the hands that went up were guys, okay? So if you're a woman and you don't get it, that's all right. Just <laughs> stay along here for the ride with us, okay? Uh, but we all kind of know that kids like to argue about that, right? Kids almost always see their dad as really strong. And they want their dad to be stronger than all the dangers in the world because, because they know even when they're little, the world's a very dangerous place. We recognize this. We need someone stronger than us to keep us safe, to watch over us, to, to protect us. And we want that when we're kids and we still want it when we're adults, amen? We really do. All of us truly deep down we long for a father figure who can do anything, who can protect us, who can keep us safe, who can take care of all of our needs. And this is part of what Jesus wants just to, to work down into our bones with this prayer. He, he says here, you have a dad who is close and involved and caring, but he is also strong and he is also powerful and he is more powerful than anything in the universe. As the creed says, he is almighty. He's the creator. I mean, this is, this is part of the point of the prayer. And we saw it in verses nine and 10. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. This is how you should relate to God. Don't forget that. He said, our father, that's eminence, right? Now pay attention to transcendence. Our father, where? In heaven. He's in heaven. Jesus says, look where your dad sits. He's in heaven he rules over everything. Are you seeing the both and here? He's our father, but he's in heaven. He, he's bigger, Jesus says, than you can imagine. He sits above everyone, above everything, ruling over the universe that he created. And then Jesus says next, continue this theme, hallowed be your name. We are to pray that God's name be honored as holy because God our Father is holy. He is the honored one. Holy, it means set apart. Holy means he's not like us. It means he's different. It means he's, he's greater than anyone else. Holy means that he is pure and without sin. See, God's transcendent. He's the God to whom we relate. Your kingdom come tells us that our Father is a king that he has infinite wealth and power, it also reminds us it's his kingdom, not your kingdom. Amen? Say, not my kingdom. It's not, his, it's not your, your kingdom, it's not my kingdom, it's his kingdom. His kingdom is the, the kingdom we pray will come. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, not my will, say not my will. You know, it's his will, not not our will, not anyone else's will. It's about our Father's will. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you see it? Do you feel it? God is so very big. So big. And if you want to keep it in the terms we've been talking about, this is Jesus telling us our dad is stronger and greater than anyone. He can beat up anyone else's dad. He's a dad. So he loves you, but do not forget, he is an omnipotent dad. He is an omniscient dad. He 
He's an omnipresent dad. He's just everywhere. Knows everything, has all power. And, and if I could put that in a phrase, God as almighty creator means he is infinitely powerful. This is what we're confessing when we confess the words of the creed. I believe in God, uh, the Father Almighty, creator of, of heaven and earth. And, and, and I think when you put this together, it's where this, this reality of God's imminence and God's transcendence becomes incredibly practical because, listen, it's because he is both Father, intensely personal, close and involved and loving, and also Almighty, infinitely powerful. It's that Jesus teaches us with these things in mind that we can't actually pray the rest of the things that are in the Lord's prayer. This is why we can pray the rest of the prayer in faith because we believe that he actually cares, Father, and that he can actually do something about our needs, almighty creator. And really that's what verses 11 through 13 is about because he is Father and almighty, he can actually give us today our daily bread, right? He has the power to provide for our needs, He's close to us, so he knows what we need. He cares, so he wants to take care of our needs, and he has the power to actually do those things. He's almighty. He, he's, he's creator. He has made everything, so he owns everything, and it is all his to give you out of his grace. He can take care of your needs. And again, if, Jesus, if, if God is not both, then we don't have good news. And that's why the creed is so important. We need a father, uh, a God who is both the Father Almighty and creator of heaven and earth. You can keep going, verses 12 and 13, and forgive us our debts. He's the only one. Are you burdened today? Are you ashamed today? Do you feel guilty today? Are you weighed down by something you've done today? There's only one place to go to get forgiveness. And that's our Father, the Almighty Creator. He can forgive us. He can forgive us. He's, he's also the one that we can pray to to not bring us into temptation, to protect us from the evil one. Again, he can beat up anyone's dad and he has defeated the evil one on the cross and he has triumph over death in the resurrection. See, this is the good news that stands at the beating heart of our faith. He is God, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. He's Father, intensely personal and caring and close. He's Almighty creator, intensely or infinitely powerful. It's both and, both and. Now, that's the teaching. That's the truth. That's the reality that we confront when we confess this first affirmation of the creed. That's how we should understand God, how he relates to us, how we should relate to him. Now, this will make real good sense to you, okay? I know before I even say it, the reality is that what we've just been talking about, this should change our lives, right? It should change the way we think. It should change the way we live in everyday life. The question is how? And that's actually our question for the rest of the way. How does this change the way we think and live? So we believe that God is imminent. He's intensely personal and kind. We believe that God is transcendent. He's the infinitely powerful creator king of the universe. 
and we take these truths into our minds. We, we learn them and we meditate on them. We, we drive them down deep into our hearts. We repeat them to ourselves and to each other until the truth of who God is grows louder and louder and louder than the lies of this world. And again, like we talked about in our last series, louder for many of us, the truth. The truth's not loud enough for our minds and our hearts to hear it over the noise of our culture and our world. This is part of why we need to confess these truths and meditate on them. We've got, we've got to drive these realities deep into our souls. But the question remains, how, how does that actually change the way we live? And so I want us to walk through those four categories together and see how this belief brings to us clarity and balance and counsel and reorientation. So first, clarity. This confession that I believe God in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, it shows us first of all how the God of Christianity, the God of the Bible is fundamentally different than we often imagine him to be. It also shows us he's fundamentally different than all the other religions of the world would understand him to be. This is where we're gonna do a little real quick comparative religion and kind of get some clarity on who the Christian God is. Uh, Michael Bird, that author that I uh, mentioned last week, his book, What Christians Ought to Believe, here's a quote that he has. He says, in other religions, calling God's one, one's own father would be irreverent for Jews, blasphemy for Muslims, weird for Buddhists, and means something entirely different for Hindus. Such a claim to enjoy God's fatherhood is crucial, however, for the Christian idea of God and for the distinctive nature of Christian worship. God is not a distant deity nor an impersonal power, not a divine monad without personality or purpose. God is the one who made Christ our brother in the Holy Spirit our comforter and adopted us as sons and daughters of his royal and everlasting kingdom. God gives us gifts like a father spoiling his children. So we need to be clear. That's what we've been doing, get clear on who God is. We need to realize this is the only God like him in the world. No other faith has a a God who's father and all powerful. And so this just brings clarity to us. We, we, we don't get to imagine who God is. You know, I understand the sentiment sometimes when someone says, well, to me, God is, but you should always be very careful when you start to say something like this. You don't get to define God. I don't get to define God. God defines himself. God has revealed who he is in the scriptures. He tells us who he is. And we see that the God of the Bible is is fundamentally different than any other human conception of God. We need clarity on this. We believe in God, the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. Second, this brings balance to us as Christ followers. Last week, if you'll remember, we talked um, about how sometimes some of us can be sort of like the guy at the gym who only works his chest and his, his biceps, never works his legs. You know, he gets out of balance. And we can get out of balance as Christ followers. We can, we can only focus on certain parts of the Bible and certain teachings in the scriptures that we like, and then we neglect other things. And, and sometimes when we do that, we can look spiritually healthy, but from certain angles, but the reality is we're very weak. And so 
what the creed does is it balances our understanding of God and how we do life with God. Uh, there's a lot of examples that we could give of this. I'll give you, I'll give you one. Uh, I think most of us uh, tend to fall into one of two camps where we, we, we tend to focus on God as Father. We love that. But we don't love God as Almighty Creator King so much, right? And in real life, here's how this plays out. We, we just love, we love how God the Father is tender-hearted and caring and kind and, and patient toward us. But we don't really like the idea that God can tell us how to live our lives because he's almighty creator of the universe. I've discovered over the years that there are a lot of people, if I talk about obey, they don't like that. As soon as I say the word obey, they go, oh, legalism. And I know if someone responds like that, when we talk about obedience, they're out of balance. It may be that you're focusing too much on God's fatherhood and not reminding yourself that he's also the almighty creator of the universe. And the truth is, friends, if this goes too far in our lives, it's just idolatry. We're not worshiping the one true God. God is just there to do what we want. God, God you know, he's around just to solve my problems and make my life better, make my life easier. And this is part of why balance is so important because he is your father he is kind, caring, and compassionate to you. But you must never forget that he's also the almighty creator king who tells you how you must live in, don't forget this, his world, right? You know, do, do you, you understand that even the air you're breathing, not your air. God just loans it to you for a while. It's his air, it's not ours. Everything we have, it's his, it's not ours. We live in his world. Now, there are also some of us uh, who have the opposite problem. I mean, we love, we love to think about God as big and powerful. He's the almighty, sovereign, creator, king of the universe, but we kind of keep him at arm's length. We don't, we don't like the idea of him getting up close and personal, being a father to us. And here's how this could play out practically. It could look like you giving intellectual consent to the idea of the existence of God, but then you live your life like a practical atheist. You don't think he cares about your day-to-day -day existence, so you think you're kind of on your own. Never pray, don't read the Bible, do what you wanna do most of the time till you're in trouble, right? So we can, we can fall into one of these camps and most of us probably tilt one way or the other, but listen, if he is not both Father and Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, then we are not worshiping and serving the one true God. We aren't doing life with him the way he desires and the way that he commands. Third thing that this confession does is it counsels us. Who God is and how he relates to us should form and should give counsel and direction to the way that we, we live all of life every, every day of the week. And it, it does so particularly in two ways I wanna highlight. I'm gonna put them on the screen and then I'll show you some of how these two things play off each other. This shows us first that God the creator can and should tell us how to live our lives. But it also shows us that God the Father can and will give us mercy and grace and help when we need it, when we blow it. So 
So here's how these two things kind of play off each other. First, God the creator, he can and he, he should tell us how to live our lives. That's the big God part. He's the almighty father, creator of heaven and earth. He created the world. He, he created all the systems of this world. I mean, he created the earth and life on it and he created in a particular way to be lived in a particular way, which he reveals in his word. Another way of saying this is God, God made reality. He created reality everything that is existing, and it's all his idea, it's all his plan design, and as the creator, he knows best how life works. It's, it's right, because of that, that he should tell us how we should live. Uh, a guy named H.H. Farmer said this. He said, when you live against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. And I just described some of our lives, right? At least a certain periods of time. I mean, if you think about life and where the splinters of life come from and the painful things of life come from, they, they always, don't they? They always result from living out from under the authority of Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. And let me just remind us of this because we live in a culture that is incessantly telling us the opposite. We were not created to be our own creators. We were not created to be the authors of our own destiny. We were not created to be our own authorities. We were created to live under the authority of our creator. But here, here's the other side, where this becomes really beautiful and comforting because if, if we're honest, we all totally blow it, right? All the time, at living under the authority of the creator, right? Who, who sinned this week? Please just let me see your hands there. I'm gonna find out who's truthful and who's lying right now real quick. We all need forgiveness all the time, right? And we try our best, but we still make mistakes. We sin against God. We sin against other people. We feel the brokenness of our hearts and that can be a really, really scary thing sometimes unless the second thing is true. That God the Father will and can give us mercy and grace and help when we need it, right? This is where the, the two elements of how we understand God to be, they, they function and, and they play off of one another. That he's the creator who should tell us how to live our lives, but when we blow it, when we don't obey him, the Father can and he will give us mercy, give us grace, give us help whenever we need it. You see how these things work together? See, the point is, he is the best of dads because he's the perfect dad. Second uh, Corinthians 1, 3 says he is the, the father of mercies. He's the father of mercies. And one of the characteristics of his fatherhood and how he's father to us is that he's so merciful when we, when we blow it. Patient, kind, slow to anger. When we live out from under his authority, which is another way of saying when we sin, he's the father of mercies. There's a great book that has come out uh, not too long ago. It's called Gentle and Lowly. The author's name is Dane Ortland, And uh, he, he says this about how God the Father approaches you when you feel weak and you've blown it. He says, as you consider the Father's heart for you, remember that he is the Father of mercies. He is not cautious in his tenderness toward you. He multiplies mercies matched to your every need and there is nothing he 
would rather do. Remember that this God in whose hand are all creatures, he's the creator of heaven and earth. He's your father and is much more tender of you than you are or can be of yourself. Your gentlest treatment of yourself is less gentle than the way your heavenly father handles you. His tenderness toward you outstrips what you are even capable of toward yourself. Have you ever thought about this? That maybe, maybe you're harder on yourself sometimes than God is on you? See, the more we, I think, truly understand who God is, the more we know his character, the more we will truly be able to bring counsel to how we live our lives and even how we help other people. See, we should live under his authority because his authority is good. It's what's best for us. But even when we don't, there's grace, there's mercy from our heavenly father. Fourth, this brings reorientation when we not only confess our belief that God is Father, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, but we we live that reality out, it will make us, I told you this last week, it'll make us rebellious against the most prominent cultural narratives that are out there. I told you last week that Christians have understood through the centuries that when we confess the creed, when we confess our beliefs, we are simultaneously rebelling against the cultural narratives of the day while we're pledging ourselves, pledging allegiance to something that is bigger and truer and historically deeper than the cultural narratives that surround us that will be here for a few years because our culture just moves on to something else. Have you noticed this? It's just gonna be different few years from now. Now, we could talk about so many things here. I just wanna mention um, three uh, very quickly as we wrap this up. One of the cultural narratives that this truth, I think, addresses is cancel culture. And uh, that idea, we all know about this, we see it happening all the time, that when you blow it, you know, you're canceled, you're done. And it is happening all the time, uh, to so many people around us. And, and, and sometimes, yes, it's true, some people are shown to have uh, been doing something really bad. But have you noticed many times there's this real arbitrariness about it? And there almost always is a vindictiveness about it. There's no mercy, there's no forgiveness, there's no second chances. It doesn't really seem to matter how long ago the offense you know, was or if it happened just one time. If you violate a rule today, you know, one of today's rules and It's interesting to me how many of those rules didn't even exist at the time the canceled person committed their their sin. But if you violate a rule, you can lose your job, you can lose your career, sometimes your life. See, cancel culture is so toxic and we just see it playing out around us. And some of you are dealing with it in like your everyday, you know, life of work and things like this. And I think we watch it happening on the news, on social media. It, It can sometimes begin to influence and shape us. And I think some of us may even begin to think, is that how God's gonna treat me if I blow it? Will God cancel me? Will the church cancel me? Well, this truth shows us that the reality that as God is both Father and Almighty Creator, it tells us we will never be canceled by God. There is no end to His grace The Bible says his mercies are new every morning, every morning. And 
That's also why we as a church, the church should never be a canceling people. We don't give up on people when they blow it. There's no cancel culture in Christianity because while we might rebel against the creator, the creator is also our father who loves his rebellious kids and has made a way for them to come home through Jesus. Amen? It's the beautiful truth of the gospel. A second cultural narrative uh, that we rebel against is it has to do with, with all of the identity issues that are so prominent in our culture, and there are many, and we're not gonna get into the specifics, but I just wanna kind of highlight the, the principles. When we believe that God is creator, this means that he determines reality. He created us, and he shapes our identity. And I've said this to you before, let me say it again. The reason we are in such an identity crisis in our culture, the reason that so much of like almost everything seems to be about identity, if you notice this, it's identity, you know, 24 seven. This has not always happened. It's not always been this way. The reason that we're in this moment in our culture, I'm telling you at the bottom of it is that we have as a culture forgotten that we have a father and he's our creator. We are not little gods who have the power to declare who we are based on the thoughts in our little finite minds. Our, our confession that God is Father, the almighty creator, means that we should rebel against any cultural narrative that puts people like us in the place where only God should be. He is God, we are not. He determines our identity. And there's some complexity involved in some of these issues, I know, but we can only work through them as we understand first principle, God is creator. He has declared and designed reality. A third cultural narrative could be anything that, that places our racial or ethnic or national identity in the place only God should be. Racism of any kind cannot coexist with true belief in a loving father who creates everyone. And we all will stand before God for judgment. We all have been created in his image. We're all standing before him now as equal in value. We're all sinners who need his grace. And so anytime we see racial ethnic issues that, that go against what the Bible teaches, Believing in God as creator and father stands against that. It also means that though we love our land, we don't worship it. We don't put our nation's interests above the interests of God's kingdom because we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. See, we could keep going. There's a whole lot of applications of this and you can probably think about some. Maybe you wanna talk about some uh, in your, your life groups. But here's where this lands. We believe in a loving God who is our Father. He is intensely personal, but He is also the Almighty Creator. He's infinitely powerful. And we confess both. And the reality of who God is should reorient everything in our lives. Let me just ask you take this question and ponder it this week. Has God reoriented your life? Has God reoriented your life? This reorientation begins when you confess that God the Father, the Almighty Creator, has sent His Son Jesus into the world to save the world. It, it begins when you accept that Jesus' death 
on the cross has paid the penalty that you deserve for your sins. It begins when you repent of your sins and you receive Jesus' forgiveness. When, when God gives you the gift of eternal life, that is when he becomes your loving father. That is when he adopts you into his family and you become part of the church, the family of God, the people of God. And the way the Bible tells us that we demonstrate this begins, this reorientation begins, is it's actually baptism. And as you've heard, we're having one today. Yes, even with all the rain, we're all gonna get wet anyway, so why put it off? There's no reason, I think, I would say, to wait for another day. Today's the day of salvation if you haven't trusted in Jesus yet. If you have trusted in him but you've not been baptized, then I call to you, I appeal. Believe in him, obey him by receiving baptism. You can be baptized today. You, you can talk to me if you have questions. Any of our pastors will be happy to help. You can stop by the info center for information. And if you're not quite ready, you, you have some questions you wanna ask them, please let us know. Please let us help you. And if you are a follower of Christ and if you have been baptized, but maybe there's some areas in your life that it's time for reorientation. Will you do that today? As we pray together in just a moment, will you come before the Father, confess sin to him wherever it needs to be confessed, turn from that sin, receive his cleansing grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Let him change you because he's your father and he's your creator. Would you bow your heads as we pray together?